Lord, we thank you that we can look at your word now and we pray that you bless it to us. Thank you for uh, your love for us that excels all other loves. We pray that you'd help us to rest in that. We ask you to communicate your commitment to us as we look at your word and see how you work to draw people to yourself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ever been around anybody that made you feel awkward? You have a sense. They're just not my kind. Or too loud. Or has an accent. Or obviously he doesn't know how to dress. And the list goes on and on, right? But what if being around people different from you was part of God's master strategy? Think of that. Well, that's an important truth to have seared on our hearts and our minds. And today's theme is no favoritism allowed. No favoritism allowed. We're looking at the section that Jim just read for us, that long one from Acts chapter 10. And it's important. It's important, first of all, just by its sheer size. 66 verses in all, though we're only going to look at 48 of them. But it's important because the whole scene is coordinated by God. And it's also important because it provides a turning point in the book of Acts. Well, how does Luke organize what he's going to tell us? Uh, in pairs. One about Gentiles and another about Jews. One about preparing Gentiles to receive Jews and another about preparing Jews to receive Gentiles. And then one about Gentiles receiving the gospel and then the other about Jews welcoming them into the church. Luke is really vision casting here. He's saying to any reader, come live in a new world, one where believers of all sorts receive one another because they have been received by Christ himself. The problem at hand is how Will the gospel move from a Jewish base to then include all peoples? And the key to opening that door is no favoritism allowed. Well, look with me at the beginning of Acts 10. Specifically, the first eight verses, God allows no favoritism because he aims to save a wide variety of people. God allows no uh, favoritism because he aims to save a wide variety of people. And in this case, he gives unbelievers experiences that position them for the gospel. Cornelius, see him? What do we know about him? Lives in Caesarea, a prominent Roman town. He's a military leader in charge of 
100 soldiers, part of the Italian cohort. He's devout, he fears God, he's generous, and he's faithful in prayer. He is sympathetic to the Jewish faith, but he's a Gentile. Could he be interested in some new version of Judaism, a Jesus-based approach to things? Well, we're told in verses 3 and following that it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And he sees the vision of an angel. And the angel calls him by name, and Cornelius is terrified. What is it, Lord, he says, and the angel tells him, good news. The Lord has seen your reverence. Send to Joppa, about 30 miles away. Send to Joppa and call for Peter. Cornelius obeys. And we might say to ourselves, the Lord has amazing resources to get our attention, doesn't he? In this case, an angel. So let's just pause here. Who are the people in your life, at work, in your neighborhood, those when you go to the gym, at the 7-Eleven, where you get your gas and your potato chips? Who are those people? Lots of diversity, right? From all over the world, varied cultures, ethnic backgrounds, languages, here in Little Berks County. Might the Lord have an interest in saving some of them? In reaching out to Cornelius, the Lord is revealing his heart for all peoples. And he's also modeling behavior that he wants to see in us. So, because God allows no favoritism, he aims to save a variety of people. Cornelius had, has had this startling experience. It's now paired with Peter's experience. And you'll see that in verses 9 and following. The Lord allows no favoritism, and so he prepares his people to move toward those he aims to save. No favoritism. The Lord prepares his people to move toward those he aims to save. Peter's recognized church leader, used by God to preach, heal, raised Dorcas from the dead. Last week we noted that he, he was even part of the Joppa revival. But Peter is also, let's say this to ourselves, an uneducated fisherman with a noticeable Galilean accent. He's a conservative Jew bound in his religious culture. My bet, Peter's background had as much hold on him as did his accent. And the Lord has some work for him to do but the Lord has some work to do in Peter before Peter can do the work the Lord has for him to do. So he exposes Peter's biases. Look at verses 9 down through 14. 
Cornelius has had his experience. Now it's about noontime. Peter's up on the housetop praying, and he gets hungry. He's waiting for lunch and falls into a trance. And the heavens open. Down comes a sheet, and it's filled with animals, all kinds of critters, unclean, though, we might add. And he hears a voice which says, rise, Peter, kill, that is, sacrifice. Rise, Peter, kill slash sacrifice, and eat. And Peter is a kosher Jew. He absolutely refuses. By no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And let's say this to ourselves. Down to his toenails, Peter believes he is doing what's right. But God, he challenges Peter's deeply held religious and cultural prejudice. Next, he rebukes Peter's foolish thinking. Look at verses 15 and 16. Voice replies, what God has made clean, do not call common. That happens three times. And it raises the question, who gets to call the shots in Peter's life? Who gets to call the shots when it comes to food? Which reigns supreme? God's word or Peter's deeply held convictions? Now, as a matter of fact, right here, these two concepts of food and convictions run together. Food and people. Announcing that he has made common things clean, God is also saying, I have taken the separation between Jew and Gentile out of the way. Peter, it's a whole new ball game. You know about our biases, don't you? They're like the water in which fish swim. So much a part of life that we are just oblivious to them, many of them. Well, Peter's not the only one who had sinful prejudices. Which are yours that keep you at a distance from people you may not like? I'm out for a walk with my dog, Bella. And as we go up the hill, I hear loud talking in a language that I don't understand. And I think, well, maybe I ought to go some other place. Maybe there's another way up around into the woods. What's wrong with me? I didn't want to encounter these people because I, I thought, well, maybe I'll feel awkward around them. Before us is the question, who gets to have the final say in your life? Your natural, self-protective way of approaching life? Or the Lord who models no favorites allowed, no favoritism allowed? So God prepares his people to move 
toward those he intends to save. No matter the preparation, though, how are these groups going to get connected with one another? Well, because God allows no favoritism, the Holy Spirit connects people with those he intends to save. That's how it happens. The Holy Spirit does it. And so look with me now at verses 17 and following. Peter is inwardly, uh, he, he's inwardly perplexed, we're told. Uh, that is, he's nonplussed. He's embarrassed. He's uh, entirely at a loss to make sense out of this sheet that has just come down and this voice that says, what I've made clean, don't you call unclean. But thankfully, the Lord is not at a loss. And at this moment, the group that God had directed to come from Cornelius' house in Caesarea, 30 miles away, have just, that group has just arrived, and they're calling from the street to find out if they have the right address. Now please notice verses 19 and following. The Holy Spirit tells Peter, you got guests. Welcome them and go and invite them in. And go with them when they tell you where they're going. Go with them, and it's really an interesting word. Go with them without discrimination. And then Peter is told God's planned this whole thing. Peter, he does as he's told. He does invite them in to be his overnight guests. A Jew invites Gentiles to come in and be his overnight guests. Do you get it? And then he collects a handful of friends and the next morning he and they are all off with these Gentiles back to Caesarea. Divine appointments. It's a concept that uh, my parents taught me. They didn't use the term, but they said things to me like this. Always be on the lookout. Who knows when the Lord will give you an opportunity to bless somebody's life? Who knows when the Lord will give you a chance to say something about Jesus and what he means to you? And that helped develop in me a sense of anticipation, wondering when the next contact would be one that would be really exciting. I might say parenthetically, except when I was walking up the hill with my dog. <laughs> God allows no favoritism. And so he connects people, he connects his people with those that he intends to save. Now, Peter's still somewhat in the dark, but a Gentile military officer is going to help him see the light. So look at verses 24 and following. Because God allows no favoritism, the Holy Spirit predisposes those he intends to save to welcome the gospel. Because God allows no favoritism, the Holy Spirit predisposes those he intends to save to welcome the gospel. Now remember, 
uh, an angel started this whole ball rolling. Expecting Peter, Cornelius has gathered his friends and family. See it there in verse 24? And after an awkward introduction, Peter tells a little bit about his story. You know, it's not lawful for a Jew to associate or to visit anyone of another nation. Why? Jews believed that contact with a Gentile would render them unclean. Peter continues, but the Lord has changed all that in me and I'm here, so please tell me, why am I here? Well, Cornelius explains things from his side. He says, we've gathered to hear what you've been commanded by the Lord. Imagine that. Going into a Gentile home you've never entered before. And he says, I've been waiting for you to come to, so I can hear what your Jewish God has to say. Think about the time that you came to know the Lord. How many ducks did the Lord have to line up in order for that to take place? It's an amazing story, right? You think, wow, I couldn't have concocted this thing in my own wildest imagination. The Lord goes before us, making us willing to embrace Christ as he's offered to us in the gospel. And please notice now Peter's confession. Ever wondered if you're too old to get over your narrow-mindedness, your stifling biases? Wonder no more. The Lord is not only powerful to save, he's powerful to sanctify. Because God allows no favoritism, he disposes those he intends to save to welcome the gospel. Now, the Lord has set up this whole thing and we're sitting on the edge of our chairs wondering what's going to transpire next. And it's in verses 34 to 43. Because the Lord allows no favoritism, he enables his servants to give the gospel to a wide variety of people. Because the Lord allows no favoritism, he allows his servants to give the gospel to a wide variety of people. Now, Peter's not a trained evangelist. He's an uneducated, deeply flawed, backwoods fisherman. However, he does understand the gospel for himself. He sees himself as a son who's able to serve his Savior. And so, look at what he does. Verses 35 and following. He announces the gospels for all peoples. Fear God and do what's right, and he'll accept you. There's peace with God through trusting in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, and he was raised to new life. And whoever believes in him enjoys forgiveness for all his sins. What a simple and exceptionally good news. Good for me. 
Good for you, good for friends, good for family, good for neighbors, far and near. Might you too be a messenger of this good news? Most certainly. True story, but sad. Though a young man, it appeared as if Ed was soon to lose his eyesight. He had more problems than simply physical problems with his eyes. Terribly insecure, Ed had no vision whatsoever for sharing his faith. His reason? He had it solidly grounded in the Bible. He said to me, read Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. The Great Commission is given to apostles. It's given to church leaders only. They're the ones that are responsible for passing it on. You know the inference. Get to work. Don't ask me for any support except maybe praying for you. I wonder, might you be a little bit like Ed? Well, Luke tells us in the clearest of terms, after Stephen's death, the whole church was scattered except for what? The whole church was scattered except for the apostles, exactly. And those who were scattered went preaching the word, and we read in chapter 11, verses 19 to 21, a great number turned to the Lord. Can the Lord use you with all your flaws? foibles, weaknesses, insecurities to get the gospel where absolutely he can. Because the Lord allows no favoritism, he enables his servants to give the gospel to a wide variety of people. Now, we don't have all that Peter intended to say. The whole proceeding is interrupted unexpectedly. So please look at verses 44 and following. Because the Lord allows no favoritism, when the Holy Spirit saves people who are different from you, it's time for you to act like a Christian. What does that mean? Well, look. Verse 44. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Perhaps strange to our thinking, but here is a whole group of people that are saved at the same time. Wouldn't that have been something? They all come to faith, just like that. And the proof, verse 45, Peter and his friends hear them speaking in tongues and praising the Lord, and Peter says, we got to baptize these people. They have received the Holy Spirit like us. They need to be baptized. And they are. And finally, verse 48, Cornelius and company asked them to remain for some days. What would that have been like? Jews 
a group of seven Jews have come from Joppa to Caesarea and now converted Gentiles say, hey, would you please stay with us? And they do. What might it look like for you to extend God's love here at Covenant? Let me suggest three steps. First, take some mental notes as you arrive week after week and pay attention to who seem to the people who seem to be marginalized. People who are on the fringe. That's the first thing. Just make a mental note of it. Second thing, make eye contact, smile, introduce yourself and greet them. Third, before you come, come with a few basic questions to start a conversation. Remember, everybody likes somebody to be interested in them, right? And one of the ways is to ask people questions about their story. Well, let's wrap this thing up with one final offer. As you've listened, maybe you have thought to yourself, I don't know. I'm too narrow-minded, biased. Is there any hope for anybody like me? I'm too scared of people. I want to keep them at a distance. The gospel is for people exactly like you. It's for opinionated, critical, bigoted, racist, and even worse than you. That's who the gospel is for. And so you can surrender your life to Christ right now. You can pray, Lord, I really need you. Change me. Help me to, so I'm not such a critical so-and-so. Help me to be one who welcomes people rather than keeps them at a distance. And my guess is the Lord will relate to you the way he related to Peter. He'll expose more and more of your shortcomings. And he'll also console you with his promises. No favoritism allowed. That's God's word for you today. Lord, we ask you to bless us, shape us, help us to be more like you, interested in people that are different from us and willing to move toward them because you're already moving in countless lives and have said that there's a vast multitude yet to be brought to faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.